Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to another edition of the Green Book Podcast. I am Karen Lynch and I'm happy to be hosting this episode and digging into some fascinating research in particular with a human being who's the perfect person to bring this to you. I'm talking today with Carlene Kriegler. She is one of the co-founders and the research director at Hello Ara. For a little bit of background before I ask Carlene to introduce herself to you further. I want to tell you that I set my sights this fall on finding people who were doing research in the metaverse. I was asking so many people, hey, do you know anybody who's doing this? Do you know anybody who's doing this? Because with my background as a qualitative researcher, I could not wait to talk to people who were creating an environment for in-person qualitative discussions in that space that I was starting to get to know quite well in the last decade or so. So welcome, Carlene. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It is so lovely to speak to you today. Tell us a little bit just for the purpose of introduction. You know, I can say that you, you know, have been combining human understanding and AI to make some positive change in the industry and, you know, some of your research expertise. But why don't you introduce yourself more authentically to our audience and then we'll get into what brought you to Hello, Ara. Okay, my background is I have had my whole career in market research. I'm not one of those people who fell into it. I discovered it as a study subject and I immediately loved it. And I had a purposeful career by design in the market research industry. I started off at Research International 20 years ago. And then obviously it became TNS and then and then Cantor. So before we founded Hello, Ara, I worked at Cantor. I think I was lucky to start and research when there were still interviewer ladies with clipboards. And I went through the transition of learning about research from that point of view through to, you know, research going more online and then mobile. And then obviously where we are now with open data and probing and metaverse. So I feel lucky that I've had the background of research on paper being captured because I think the, the learnings there is, is just been my groundwork. I think my favorite learning in terms of my past career was when I was a young, fresh researcher, and I learned so much from the field director. And she always told us to create good and sensible experiences because we forget that we're actually speaking to people. So I think a lot of my passion for research is about people and giving them good experiences and actually not forgetting that we are dealing with human beings. I think we forget about that. I love that point. Yeah, I had a similar journey in that, you know, I graduated within the first year outside of college. I was working for a qualitative research company as an assistant field director. And so I learned how to write screeners and how to interact with the focus group facilities that we were using. And really starting at that very kind of administrative level, I think to this day set me up for success because I started on the lowest rung of that ladder in the field and just kept going up, up, up. And each time it just 
brought me a new awareness of really what are we doing? We're talking to human beings and everything we do matters. So tell me what, what connected you to David Wright then, who is your co-founder at Hello Ara. Uh, he's the one I had first reached out to start to, to have these conversations and then thus invite your team to present at IAEX Europe. So how did you and David meet, connect, and come up with the idea for this organization? So I think I am by nature a curious person, as I think a lot of us researchers are, and I've always been curious about whatever is new, you know. And also in research, from the start, I've had that mindset of, well, how can I explore new ways of doing this or that? or you know. So I think that's part of my nature and how I was brought up. And so in my career, I've also always looked for who are the people who are doing new things, who are thinking differently, so that I can learn from that. So I met David in London when I was on a a business trip there, and we got along, and I really liked how he thinks. So his background is more in technology innovation and AI. So his, his original career wasn't in market research. He brought it to market research. So he thinks very differently to me. So I think we got along and we were both interested in innovation and in the new, and we were keen to start a business that's focused on that, you know, pushing the boundaries of market research, keeping what is important, the, the solid principles, but giving respondents a better experience, giving clients more depth and detail and being able to customize as well. You know, I think a lot of research is very standard and stale almost these days when there are so many ways to bring interest, create experiences, and deliver better work, actually, with more detail and depth. AI helps us with that, of course. <laughs> it sure, really, it feels like an understatement right now, what, what AI is doing for us. So obviously, you know, AI in general is exploding. But when I think conceptually about the metaverse, and I want to set the stage for our listeners right now, some people who might still be thinking of the metaverse as, you know, you need your Oculus or your Meta headset to go into a virtual reality. But the metaverse is different than that. And I think for me, some of my aha moments were around watching my children who are, you know, they're, they're Gen Z and they grew up playing Fortnite. My sons in particular played Fortnite. And I remember one time they told me they were, you know, getting in to watch a concert in Fortnite. I'm like, wait, what are you doing? I thought it was a gaming platform. Like it is mom. Anyway, the next thing you know, they're showing me the events taking place in their gaming world. I thought that was fascinating. And then there was a time during the early stage of the pandemic, my youngest daughter went into her room and she was playing Minecraft and she was getting really mad at her brothers. And I'm like, their brothers weren't in the room. They were all in their three separate rooms and they were all in their Minecraft world together. Kids who were not playing with themselves in the house, right? Because they were older, they were teenagers, but they were in three separate rooms playing in their virtual world together. And the behaviors that they were exhibiting, you know, her brothers were like, oh no, he killed my dog or they're setting fire to my house. Like they're doing all these like crazy things, sibling way with one another. And I was thinking they have a relationship in the metaverse that is different from the relationship they have in their home. And I just became fascinated myself. So talk to me a little bit about holistically or at that meta level, what is the metaverse in your opinion and how do people get there? Okay. I mean, I think Facebook, when they rebranded meta, I think everyone's perception suddenly changed of what's the metaverse. And then everyone thought metaverse equals meta, which isn't actually the case. Meta's metaverse is actually quite small if you compare it to Roblox and Fortnite and and Minecraft, which is massive. For meta, you need that 
Oculus headset. Roblox, Fortnite, and Minecraft, I think it's only recently that all of them released versions that are available on VR headsets. So all of that is Metaverse because Metaverse is about immersive experience. So it's like a world that's created where you can take on a persona and have an avatar and, you know, engage and play and react. I think apart from gaming, I think Metaverse is obviously quite gaming-centric, but there's a lot of applications that are more commercial I mean, of course, we all know about cryptocurrency and the, and the NFTs, which had its wave. But there's a lot of businesses that focus on things like modeling and engineering and digital twins through the omniverse. So it's much bigger than just here is Meta and a 3D VR headset. Actually, there's beyond gaming, incredible business applications that's already happening in, in manufacturing, engineering, modeling, etc. So for us, uh, Metaverse does not equal, you know, VR headset. Metaverse happens on screens as well. And and it, I think it's only in America, really, that VR headsets is more mainstream. In most other markets in the world, it's very, very small, the uptake still. So not very accessible, whereas all these other Roblox, et cetera, people generally, they use them on laptops or phones. Yeah. I, and I think it's worth pointing out real quick that you are really a global organization, right? Share with us just for context where your team is located. I think it's poignant. <laughs> okay. I'm located in Cape Town, South Africa. I've always lived here. I love it here. I love traveling, but it's wonderful here. David, my co-founder, he was in London when we started the business, but he's now in New Zealand. And most of our team actually live here in South Africa. It's great for time zone, but our clients are all over the world. And our Metaverse experiments actually started here in South Africa. So let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing there. And I want to include the caveat of what's possible, because I think that some people, there may be two categories of, is it something that we should even be thinking about? Is that is that a, a space we should consider doing research in? So I want to talk about that, but also then what's possible right now, today, 2023, in how to get started. So tell us some of the work that you're doing there. And then we'll get into the study that you shared and kind of some results of the work you're doing. Okay. Can I share a little bit of the journey we've taken to get here? Absolutely. I think that's that's important. I mean, I think we've been speaking about the metaverse for a while because we're interested in what is new. But I think we feel like innovation always needs to be with a client or that's our belief because it needs to be relevant, right? So we started off by thinking, you know, let's get Oculus's let's try this out. Then we quickly realized it's not very creative friendly to work with an Oculus. Uh, Meta hasn't been very great at enabling creators all over the world to co-create, which I think is is a drawback. So then we started looking into the no VR sort of solutions and we were gathering learnings and reading lit- literature. We're very inspired by Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab, and they actually bring out a lot of new papers very often. Um, But so we started a a project with a client last year, um, October, in a free environment, and we brought some of the client people in, and we had conversations, and we did an ad test, um, and we just generated so many learnings. The client was so excited that they wanted a, a second round of a group. But using the learnings from the first group and saying, okay, this is what we didn't like about the environment. This is what didn't feel right. This is what we need. So we had a second session and generated more learnings. And then we decided it was time to actually build our own environment. So based on all the learnings we've had and based on seeing the impact on the clients and 
thinking through what could be possible, we thought it was a good idea to actually build an environment that is ready for research. So um, we partnered with a designer and built our own immersive research space, which has got several rooms. There's a gallery, there's a walkway, there's a proper auditorium with seating and a screen, and then there's also core group discussion rooms. I mean, I think we could just immediately see what are all the different opportunities and how people react when they're in spaces like that. So it was worthwhile actually building our own research space. Yeah. And thinking back to that one, you know, the client that you were working with, what was the appeal? What was the intrigue? Why did they want to do this? So, I mean, I think the client themselves were on a journey with the metaverse and thinking through what it is that they can do from a metaverse point of view. So they're also always open for what is new and using the newest technology. So I think when they entered the space and they realized what it felt like, you know, the fact that you could move, the fact that you could interact with elements, the fact that it was very easy to customize I think you can be incredibly creative in a metaverse space. You can make it look like X or Y. You can bring in any sort of materials and sounds and screens. You can bring in 3D elements. I think there's also some research that's been done on the effect of being in an immersive environment and how it gives you a sense of sort of spatial freedom. And I think actually I'd encourage people to try it out for themselves. I mean, for me, initially I was also little bit skeptical before I went into the metaverse and I started playing Roblox with my kids as well. I went in with them and it was fascinating to see how they can just go into a space and hang out and relax and chat. So somehow there's quite a relaxing effect when you're in a space like that. You have the ability to move. It's a lot of fun as well. We find that in the groups that we do, very often people don't want to leave actually. So I think what the client saw was, you know, there's this opportunity to be creative with methodology. They felt that sense of freedom in the space and freedom to almost interact and talk. We've also find in the work that we do that it's an incredible place to collaborate. So people tend to get along and and co-create. I mean, your example, your siblings are fighting in the metaverse, but you were saying otherwise they they wouldn't actually play with each other, right? Because the age gap is too big, but somehow in the metaverse, they can meet and they have like a shared goal. So for me, it feels like research in the metaverse space is a little bit like a journey with a shared goal. So it feels like that. Yeah, that's excellent. I want to touch on one other thing. You know, you talked about kind of the spatial freedom, but briefly touching on the personal freedom that an individual might have creating their avatar and being that part of themselves. Talk to me about how that plays out or what you noticed in your work about what that does for somebody, that choosing how they show up in the immersive environment. I mean, I think that is really an interesting thing and we'd love to do much more research on research on that topic because I'm fascinated by that. So within the platform that we use, you have the ability to customize your avatar in any way or in many ways, and from the color of your skin to your hair to your makeup to your clothes. And brands are also partnering with the platform that we're using to bring out new versions, etc. So that element can be used in research purposefully or not. You know, you can tell people just to make whatever avatar they want, or you could tell them, we sometimes tell people, Show us the avatar that depicts your mood of the day. So, uh, I mean, it was really interesting. Uh, a while ago, we did a group that was all female. And we asked them to, as part of the warm-up, we got them used to the environment. They were moving around. And we said, okay, 
And before we start, change your avatar to, to depict your mood today. And there were two fascinating stories that came out. It was an all-female group, and one of the people in the group changed their avatar to a male avatar. And when it was their turn to speak, they told us that they were busy with a gender change operation and a process, and that they felt so free to be able to show up as a man in the metaverse. And I get a little bit of goosebumps about that because I love the fact that that person was willing to share that and had the freedom to show up in the group as they as they wanted to be, you know, or as their future self. Another example is in that same group, there was a participant who, who said that she felt really down, so she was wearing a hat because it made her feel more protected in the space. And it was wonderful to see how the people in the group, who didn't know each other, of course, how they just rallied around this person who was feeling down and tried to cheer her up. And at the end of the group, she was saying, oh, she's feeling so much better. She had such a nice experience. So I think that's a positive story about avatars, right? How you could use it to the benefit of, of people in the room so that they can be free to be themselves. And maybe it's a good way as well to check biases or remove biases. Or I think there's a lot we can learn from, from research on research on avatars. I think I can go on talking about it. <laughs> well, I, obviously I'm fascinated too. And with my qualitative research lens on, I'm thinking about all of the projective exercises we do to get people to share things like that and how it can happen very freely in that environment. You know, I love the idea of show your mood by changing your avatar or show how you feel about, you know, at any, at any point doing that kind of a projective intervention to the, to, you know, using it. I just think it could be really deliberately used as part of the research experience and also creating the engagement with the individuals. So I'm incredibly fascinated too, but we'll kind of go back to the environment because one of the things I really wanted to dig into with you is how some of the results of the study that you did that talked about the two different research environments and how that was impactful on the results. So why don't you set the stage a little bit about the study that we're talking about that you will ended up sharing in Europe in Amsterdam with us and then how the two different environments were, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, no, for sure. So we have a retail client that wanted to do a bit of research on sustainability. They, most of their questions were quite broad. They were trying to understand where were people in their journey with sustainability. They wanted to identify what are the, some of the areas that were needed for behavior change in people. And then they had a very specific objective about recyclable shopping bags, which I think in many markets people... Certainly in my country, they sell the recyclable shopping bags, but it's cheap enough for people to just to buy again and again. So it ends up actually creating waste. I think David had a similar story in, in New Zealand. So they were trying to see, can people help co-create ideas around how to use these shopping bags, how to encourage people to use shopping bags. So we thought with sustainability in mind, isn't it a great time to be able to test different environments? So we designed two very different environments. We used our research um, space and we customized it. The one environment we called Bounteous, it was an environment that looked like uh, there were a lot of trees and forests and there were tropical birds and you know, you saw kids playing in a forest or at a waterfall. We were trying to depict a future where the nature was healthy, the world was a healthy place, and we can all breathe clean and fresh air and we don't need to worry about plastic and etc. because we have it under control. 
The other world we designed, we called Arid, and that was absolutely the opposite. As you walked into the environment, you would see a man in a hazmat suit and a solar panel that basically crumbled in the sun because the sun is that hot. You saw a lot of ocean plastics. We tried to create a world where we didn't look after the environment and there's actually no trees left, there's no animals left, there's a robotic dog sitting in the, <laughs> in the, <laughs> in the auditorium. So very extreme, but we were really curious to see how would that environment affect people from their mood to how they collaborated or not to what sort of ideas they could come up with. So how could they co-create? So, so that was how we designed the experiment. I mean, I don't know. Should I talk about the findings? Please. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, I just think, you know, for me and what, what I encourage listeners to do right now is think about the environment that you are conducting research in. So if you're, you know, kind of in, in the quantitative data space, think about how the environment that participants are in when they're taking it. If you're a qualitative researcher, think about the space where you're conducting work and how we set up the spaces where people are showing up to work with us impact the findings. It's just a thought exercise that I urge people right now to like take a minute and consider their environments. And then yes, please tell us what the findings were about the two different environments. I think just to add to that point, I think humans are very visual beings. And as researchers, we have somehow forgotten that, you know, we think it's okay to have a survey that's all big white screen with black, lots of boxes, tick, tick, tick. As long as it's fast, it's okay. When actually, you know, when in our lives online, nothing looks like black and white with big white screen and tick, 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 right? Anyway. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think they were probably at some point, my thinking is, this is to, the perception was let's eliminate bias by having a very sterile environment. But I would beg the question of, does that introduce a different bias in 2023 compared to what how people might perceive that versus how they might perceive a different environment? So again, thought exercises, but please, Carlene, go ahead sure. and, and talk yeah, to us about, about the findings. Okay. We used our human brains and qualitative analysis, but of course we had to use generative AI as well to compare what would ChatGPT do with this transcript, right? So we did that and we used our human brains. So we first looked at the mood and clearly the lash bounteous environment had a different effect on the mood than the arid one. In the bounteous environment, people were quite upbeat and they enjoyed the experience of being in a green space. They wanted to walk around and explore at the start. You know, it was easy to settle them. They felt really comfortable. So the mood in the place was quite positive. Even though we had a challenging topic, people were optimistic and positive. In the arid space, though, as you can imagine, you're surrounded by uh, desertification and you, you know, you're imagining a world where there's actually no animals left and no trees, etc. So there it was definitely stressed. I mean, uh, participants, we asked for feedback afterwards and, and the sort of things they would say was, I was really confronted by this issue, which I think was interesting because, you know, we try to avoid the things that are bad, right? So now you are in this, you know, you have to imagine this is what it could be like. So it was this real sense of dread. And as they said themselves, I felt confronted by the issues. Then, interestingly, in terms of collaboration in the bounty space, people collaborated incredibly well. And they were actually willing to disagree with each other. So there was one particular respondent that 
in one of the groups that kept saying, you know, how she is reusing and she's buying secondhand clothes. And there was a few people that said to her, but that's not going to move the bar. And they were having a real conversation about that, but a friendly one. So they were almost challenging each other in terms of their actions and, and saying, okay, well, you know, what can you do differently? How about this, etc." So there was challenge, but it was very positive. When they started to have to co-create ideas, they could also build on each other ideas. So they were collaborating really well in the, in, in the green space. In the arid space, initially, people were a little bit defensive. Um, so when we started the conversation about sustainability in that space, they were like, oh, you know, I recycle and I do X and Y and Z. They were very quick to say all the things that they're doing right in that dire space. And they were very quick to blame industry and government, et cetera, initially. So they were not hostile to each other at all. I think there was just less collaboration. They were just sort of agreeing with each other. So from that point of view, the collaboration was a bit more flat. Their ideas were quite short-term, et cetera. And I think if we look at the topics that was discussed, I think in the green environment, they quickly went into solution mode, coming up with ideas, being constructive around what the client could do. And they actually came up with a great idea of how to encourage people to behavior change around the shopping bags. Whereas in the arid area, you know, the ideas were quite thin and few and far between and, and they didn't really come up with a great solution. So I think what we learned was that encouraging environment created better solutions, better collaboration. We got better detail and output. But in the arid environment, people were really confronted, you know. They stayed on track. They discussed the topic, but they couldn't co-create as well, which was really interesting. It's so interesting. The same thing happened in Amsterdam for me personally, is as I'm hearing you think, I just think it's fascinating to think about how the same study could be impacted so much by the environment created. And it really is all about the outcome, right? And seeing which of those environments would be more conducive to meeting the objectives, meeting the research objectives? What's the goal of the project? And worrying a little less about bias and more about, well, if we want our participants to help us find solutions, rather than just talk about the emotionality and the, the pain of the topic, right? There's different types of research and research objectives and building the environment that helps bring you to your end goal is what we do as researchers. So it's, a, it's, no, absolutely. Because I mean, in that arid environment, what you learn is like the things that stress people out. I mean, you can, from a behavior change point of view, you're learning about the things they're trying to avoid, you know, those things came to the fore. And in the green environment, you're learning about, well, if you push them, this is where they could go. So I think findings of both sides are actually valuable and actionable, particularly if you think about how you're going to change behaviors. Yeah, that's great. So what do you think kind of projecting out potential applications for these environments, you know, in addressing either kind of issues as great and complex as sustainability or, or other topics as well? What do you see the applications to be? I mean, I think in terms of metaverse research in general, it feels like it's a great way to deeply immerse people in visuals, ideas and concepts. You get into really focus. I know a lot of the big consultancies, they've moved their onboarding training into the metaverse and they've actually cut down on training time because they find that people tend to focus really well in immersive settings, much better than if they were on a Zoom call staring at a stranger and, you know, 
I'm very curious about the impact on introverts as well. If you if you recruited introverts and you did Zoom calls with them versus uh, metaverse research, I'd be fascinated to know how much more you could get out of um, introverts and the metaverse. Anyway, I don't want to sidetrack. I think co-creation, we could see people collaborate really well. I think it's a great way to tackle challenging topics. And I think that using avatars help with that. And I think also not having to look at someone a stranger in the face the whole time also helps open people up and getting them to a deeper place of honesty. It's just a great place to be creative as well. I mean, there's so much you can do. I mean, I, David laughs at my example, but I always talk about the elephant in the room. If you want to talk about the elephant in the room, the taboo topics, you can bring the elephant in the room and sort of, you know, create around that. So you can bring any sort of 3D element in. So I think that a place of collaboration, and I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but we also use things like generative AI imagery tools. We can pull in into the space and say, okay, let's co-create. What does this look like? And in, and in real time, bring in visuals and create around that. So I think the opportunity to create, the opportunity to tackle sensitive topics, to let people be deeply immersed in ideas and concepts, but also things like, you know, creating settings. So, you know, if you want to test something out in a setting, you know, maybe you're on the couch and here's your remote and your phone, etc. What are you picking up? What are you doing? You can create context within these spaces very easily as well. I love that idea. And I just, again, started to go into my experience as a researcher and some of the challenges around shopping and simulating, you know, the aisles of a grocery store or how people choose items off the shelf. And I'm sitting here thinking, of course, creating a virtual store where avatars can go in and shop and pick things off the shelf. And then talking about that, I'm like, that would be really neat to do. So to me, I just see a lot of applications for this and I'm fascinated by it. So I'm so glad you're kind of, you know, indulging me with even this conversation. Are there any watchouts or challenges or things that you still, you know, you need to work on internally? Things that are, you know what, we really need to overcome this challenge with this technology that people should just be on the watch out for or put their own creative thinking towards? I mean, I think the first thing is, like, and you won't have that problem in the U.S. probably, but when you work in a market like South Africa, for example, you need to watch that people's connections and their laptop speeds are fast enough because obviously it's high use of data. Um, it needs to be clear in order to have a great experience. But we figured that out for markets that are not like U.S. or, or Europe. We know how we need to recruit in order to overcome that. The second thing that's really interesting is we are not only working with Gen Zs in spaces like this. We've had people up to people into their 50s. Many of them have never been into immersive spaces. So there's always a little bit of a period of adjustment and learning as they enter. So that's another thing that we've learned how to get them into the space, make them comfortable, show them how to move, let them orientate. You know, that sort of thing is important because otherwise... I think with anything, you need to remove the friction. You need to remove the pain. Otherwise, you don't have adoption, right? So you need to just remove that pain for the participant that they feel comfortable. And typically after 10 minutes in the, in the exercise we give them, you know, they love it and they don't want to leave. I think the third thing is just with anything that's new, we need to think very critically about what we're doing. As you said, we need to think about things like biases, 
But we also, I think we always need to challenge ourselves about whether what we're doing now is really better or whether it's just easier and everyone else is doing it and we actually know for sure kind of thing. So I think that's my challenge. I think our industry is awash with talk of AI and I think the time is for researchers to not rely on technical partners or ops partners, but to actually jump in this themselves because they have the critical understanding of what they need and, you know, to make that connection and to try things out. And I think, you know, also to that point, sort of like what I was saying about even just a sort of survey taking environment of what's on screen, but I think about in-person environments for research. And back when I was executing research, if we wanted to have a more creative outcome, if we wanted to have participants co-creating or giving ideas for a brand to move forward, we would often set up an environment that was more creative. And then otherwise we would default to just a general conference table with people sitting around. And and some of the big thinking was, should we set the room up living room style or should we set the room up with the traditional conference table? And it just seems like such a small part of the equation when you realize we're talking about setting up an entire world versus just a table or a couch. There's so many more possibilities. So again, it's incredibly intriguing. And I would find that to be one of the most compelling components of this immersive research environments. How about you? What do you think is really one of the most compelling aspects of this type of research that you're doing? Definitely that. I mean, I recently found some notes on my phone, which I made when I was dreaming about doing research that's innovative all the time. And one of the things I wrote was, I want research to be more visual because we tend to work with, you know, my my first introduction with research was very much quantitative, you know, hard quantitative. And, and over the first 10 years of my career, everything moved from longer to shorter and tighter and less detail and lists and whatever else, which made me feel like it makes sense to make it shorter, but like we're losing color. So in my head, maybe this sounds fluffy, but one of my goals is to bring color back into research, right? That from numbers to, you know, we've, we've been past the, the, the era of we should tell more stories. Hopefully a lot of us are, are there already. I think some research is still not. But it's my passion to create, um, I think it's Aloara's passion to create experiences for humans which opens them up, allows them to be themselves and give feedback in the way that they want, you know, not just restrict them the whole time and then to bring color to the output as well. So I think that part of the metaverse is like the opportunities are endless. I think the other part that's maybe not as a big philosophical point, but that's really interesting is the ability to move. If you think about market research, it's a very sitting still thing, right? If you're in a core group, you kind of sit still maybe, except if you're brave enough to go to the food platter. But you kind of sit still around the table, right? And when you're doing a survey on your phone, you kind of sit still. And in the metaverse, you can actually move around. So we were also experimenting with using that movement, like using different rooms in our research space. And we've recently done concept tests, and it was actually our client's idea to concept an early ad test to actually let participants walk down the passageway and the the concept boards are up to read through the ad. So they were walking past and reading through the ad and giving initial feedback. And then they went back into the auditorium to sit down to watch the sort of early video execution. So the use of movement is another interesting aspect because we all tend to be so still in that process of research. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And again, I can't help but think about so many things. But for me, as a highly kinesthetic, tactile learner, always fidgeting, always looking to pick something up. And I think about the fact that this type of qual, I'm engaging my hands, and I'm at least experiencing in a virtual way, that sort of movement it'd be really neat to see how one person might participate in a typical call setting and another person might participate in an immersive one like you're describing. So it's so cool. So what's on the horizon for you, for Hello Aura? What's next? Kind of give us a glimpse of what you're most excited for. I mean, I think you start a business because you want to grow it, right? So the obvious answer is we're excited about growing our business through using new technology in interesting but definitely valuable ways for great clients. And we're lucky we have fantastic clients. I think with so many generative tools, just releasing one after the other and every time, you know, it's it, it feels like every month then there's a new feature or this is easier or, or that is easier. I think so. It's definitely a year of experimentation and keeping our brains on its toes while we focus on delivering really well to make our clients happy because that's what we love to do. In our company at Greenbook, we spend a lot of time talking about the future of insights. That's kind of our mission is to help shepherd people in the industry into the future of insights. And there are moments presently where we're thinking we are living the future now, right? Generative AI hit and and our use of virtual reality and augmented reality has happened. So we're kind of in it. What do you think then is next? What does the future of insights look like to you? What kind of conversations have you had or musings have you had about what's down the pike for all of us thinking forward? Yeah, I I mean, I think that from my experience, it feels like in market research, sometimes it goes through phases where we're pinning our future on a thing. So, you know, at one point where we were pinning our future on mobile research and then it felt like we were pinning our future on everything online and online qual. When I think that time has passed and I think our jobs are to explore, to keep adding things that are great and keep what is new. But it feels to us, David and I had a discussion that a lot of the research that happened 10 years ago of research on research on digital and mobile isn't necessarily valid anymore, that there's almost time for, like you were saying, you know, we created specific ways of doing research to remove biases and to shepherd in a reliable way of doing things differently. But I think there's a new time now. And I think we have to tap into things like creativity and co-creation. And we all have to use the generative AI tools. We can't rely on the tech team or the ops team. And I think that, that we need to realize that there's a generation of Gen Zs and young people who are, this is their world. This is not new for them. They're not experimenting. They're living in this world. And we have to too. So I think in terms of the future, we, you know, there's a new era of, of, of experimentation. And I think new research on research is needed to shepherd us into the future. <laughs> I have that same curiosity that you have too. So every time you say research on research, I get really excited because I'm like, yes, let's do that. Anyway. <laughs> let's do something. <laughs> I know, it's so fun. Really, it's so fun. So let me ask you this. What do you wish that I had asked you that I didn't get to in our brief time together today? Ooh, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I think what I didn't speak about was we spoke a lot about the metaverse, but also really a firm believing in in allowing people to respond in a way that they want to. So I think the time of the closed-ended survey, and I'm happy to see 
on, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I'm happy to see more people are, are using, even in traditional surveys, using some open questions again, trying to look through that for analysis. When we started Hello Ara, our focus was conversational AI first. So I guess apart from having visual experiences, even traditional surveys, I think, needs to change, you know. There are sometimes actually a lot of biases in providing lists with answer options that are not necessarily valid. So I guess from that point of view, I think it feels to me like everything needs to open up a bit more, you know, and be more creative and allow people to actually be human and respond. Because I think from my experience, if you allow someone to be comfortable and you ask them to tell them their story, they tend to do. Most people love to do that, actually, to talk about themselves and their story. Yeah, I just, I love everything you're saying and I am with you 100%. It's time for a rethink of so many things to see what we can either redesign or revamp or just at, at the very least revisit to see what the possibilities are and how we might do things differently. So I love that. Thank you so much. So we're really at about time, so I, we need to wrap up, but tell us real quick, tell our listeners, how could they find you if they'd like to connect and talk to you more? Oh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so they're welcome to follow me or, you know, Hello Aura's website, we, we're busy with a revamp, you know, it's a big process, but there's a contact box on there, uh, or you can just email me, yeah, but I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so you could find me there and connect. I love to make new friends on LinkedIn as well. That's great. And I'm sure our producer, Natalie, can include that link in our show notes. So if you're listening and you'd like to reach out, we'll include that there. So to that end, I want to thank you, Carlene, for a wonderful conversation. I am so glad to have met you and to have been introduced to your company. And stay tuned to the work that they're doing because it's really, really neat stuff. And I encourage other people to explore this space as well. Natalie, who I have just mentioned as being the one who preparing those show notes. She is our producer and she is really the power between setting these up and helping us with our briefs and, and getting them out there to you, our listeners. So thank you, Natalie, for all you do. Thank you to James, our audio editor. We appreciate you. And of course, our listeners, thank you so much for being here, for showing up and for giving us your time. We value you tremendously. Until next time, take care. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.